0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Robert J. Lloyd is the author of the Historical Mystery the bloodless boy. Thank you for joining me, Robert. Thank you,
1: Rick. I'm, I'm very, very happy and, and pleased to, uh, to to be here and that you, you've
0: invited me on. You know, I'm... Um, This book is a historical mystery novel, but I think also I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of the book itself. This is a book that has a long history in your life. You first uh, found the main character a long ago when you were still in college. Tell us about your first encounter with Robert Hook.
1: Okay, so a long time ago, um, I I was doing an MA, so. What are we talking 93 94 um and the, the structure the the ma was called the history of ideas um and we had the choice uh, i think dictated by the, the teachers of the course we could either do the 17th century or the 19th century um i'd done a, a fine art degree and kind of thought with all the impressionists and and stuff like that, and Freud and and you know Marx and I'd, I'd sort of done the 19th century, so I'd, I just plumped for the uh, the 17th century. Um, and I was I was doing um, we had to do a presentation on John on on, on any figure, and I, I was I was researching John Aubrey and stumbled across Robert Hooke's diary in the University of Newcastle uh, Library. Um, and it, it sounds terribly cliched, but but I was up at three o'clock in the morning reading Hook's Diary and just found it to be to be fascinating. And um, uh, for the novel, I have plundered it mercilessly for, for events that, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of um, tempole my, my, my plot. Um so. Uh, so, yeah, Hook's Diary uh, and reading. Uh, more more on that I ended up doing my MA thesis on on Robert Hooke and how really he he became the engine of the Royal Society when it was, it was at its, its lowest ebb in the the, in the mid 1670s he really held it together as uh, he, he was its curator of experiments and then he, he became its secretary uh, and when hardly anyone was attending and uh, subscriptions were at, at an all-time low he, he kind of carried the thing. And well, I think without him, you know, it probably would have uh, would have folded so there's a great entry in his diary, which is uh, where, where he, he went to give a lecture and um, no one turned up until half an hour or, or whatever it was. Uh, late and and then two which grumbled, you know. So, so it, it wasn't um, it wasn't in a happy state at that point.
0: <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Robert Hooke. What what is he known for? And, and tell us a little bit about the Royal Society. I mean, four hundred years is a long time for something to to last. That we'll we'll be lucky is, if the nation lasts that long.
1: His reputation, you mean? Hmm do you mean that his reputation has lasted this long
0: yeah well the the uh his has as has the royal society itself
1: it's still yeah that that's still going so as i say robert hook was um um he was employed so he was paid a salary unusually um to be the society's curator of experiments and that was because of his capacities and and capabilities so um, he, he was an astronomer, um, uh, so uh, what did he do in, in astronomy, so he, he discovered Jupiter's uh, great red spot and um, he, he was the first to observe that and he worked out the, um, the, uh, Duke, the length of Jupiter's day from the rotation of the, of the great red spot. Um, he worked out that the rings of Saturn um, that, that you can see through a telescope as looking like ears. He worked out that they were actually rings surrounding the, the planet. Um, he, he made great improvements to telescopes. Uh, the, um, the the frontispiece of, of Thomas Spratt's um, uh, history of the Royal Society has a 60-foot telescope uh, in, in as part of the the illustration um he um, uh, it, interestingly it, it features in in my book the the Monument to the Fire of London um with Christopher Wren. He, he turned that into a giant telescope. Uh, so he had a, a lens down in the basement and uh, a second lens up in the, the, the fiery um, the, the, the bronze flames that are on top of the uh, the, the monuments column. Uh, and they made this huge zenith telescope to try and work out the distance to uh, to, to a star Gamma Draconis. So, um, yeah, you know, he he was a a, a capable um, man. Uh, what else did he do? He was a, a watchmaker, a horologist, and you know, made all sorts of improvements to to, to watches. Um, uh, with the air pump, another another thing that features in the book, um, he did all sorts of experiments with with combustion and respiration and preservation, which is which is an important uh, plot point in the in the blood display. Um, He also interestingly um, had some very kind of modern seeming ideas about um, uh, um, evolution and uh, he he had a collection of fossils, um, many from his time, he he grew up in the Isle of Wight, so he, he had a childhood. Spent exploring the, the cliff sides of the of the Isle of Wight and had a collection of, of fossils, and also the the workmen in London. Um, Hook Hook became the, the surveyor to the, the city of London after the, after the fire. Uh, the workmen would bring him any kind of interesting artifacts, that, that sort of you know anything from from Roman statuettes to uh, to, to to fossils and. Uh, Hook had some very interesting ideas of of evolution and how species had had come and gone,
0: which was very kind of anti biblical. What a great uh, lead character for for your novel! I can see why you chose him. Um, you you first encountered him when you were doing your MA. the The, the novel came later, and I think the novel itself has an interesting um history. Um. I'll give you a bit of my history back in the uh late late 1980s I was working in IT and doing uh I was just up the street from a, a drugstore that a very old kind of drug, fashion drugstore that had long paperback racks on those racks was a book that took my interest by a fellow named Christopher Fowler and I really, really enjoyed that book. And in it, he introduced two characters, Bryant and May. He's still writing about those characters today. And he was one of the people who saw this book when you self published it. Talk about deciding to self publish this book.
1: Um, well, it was it was through necessity. I, I um, I'd spent twelve years writing the thing. Um, <sighs> Uh, 12 years before I got it to a state where I, I sent it to literary agents um, and you know I thought I was going to be famous because I had four literary agents um, after me I chose one I then had four publishers interested but they wanted changes um, and then you know having made those changes probably spending another year or so editing it down and lopping a third of its length because it was it was quite a monster at that point and um, and and you know following their suggestions, no no contracts ensued. So um, my literary agent, Shill Land, um, made it into a Kindle, and then I followed up with a with a paperback version. Um, and then the sequel, I I just self published. You know, the, um, I did I didn't really see a need to, uh, to to try. I didn't think a second one would be would be likely. I think it did get to acquisition meetings, and but it was called, so they were both self-published, uh, and they potted along, um, you know, not not really troubling the, the the best sellers charts, but doing doing okay. And every so often you, you get a little spike, uh, and then one day my daughter, I got a very excited phone call from her. Um, she said, "You dad, you've just been on the radio," and. Um, on uh, Radio Four, you know, not not any old radio in the UK. Radio Four was a big deal, and uh, Christopher Fowler had been talking about my my book in a a program called Unputdownable Stories, and, and apparently my my book was an unputdownable story. That was that was quite a shock, um, and he he blogged about it as as well. And uh, there, there's a direct route through from uh, Christopher Fowler's blog to a bookseller in san francisco um martin Sorensen, who suggested it to dennis johnson uh, who runs a publishing company called melville house and, and just before christmas i, I got a, an email from dennis um saying that not only did they want to publish my first two books but they were going to pay me money to do so and uh, it's quite uh, quite an extraordinary tale really and it, it's a bit of a shock uh, so so suddenly um you know having after the first book, and, and, and it's just been published, it's just come out um, in the first week of November. Um, I, I find myself to be a professional author, which is, you know, we uh, doing interviews like this, right, which is uh, uh, quite, uh, you know, quite something. You,
0: you know, one of the, the reasons I love this book was that uh, your language throughout this book, I think, really, the prose. Creates this feeling of the sixteenth century that seems really authentic and by that I mean, in terms of when we look at movies that are set in that time, I think the only people who ever got the look of the sixteenth seventeenth century right were Monty Python <laughs> because in, <laughs> <laughs> in Monty Python, it looks filthy and unpleasant yeah. <laughs> and the that's They're the only ones true, who would show yeah. it that way. And your book does a great job of just creating a really gritty era when what we take for granted is just absolutely absent. Talk about, like, do you have pages of bibliography in the back that you consult. Talk about doing... The part of the research that helped you create that kind of the filth, the smells, the feel mm. of all the crud <laughs> surrounding all these people all the time, the, the way they lived it was scary in some ways.
1: Well, part of it is obviously from my sleazy imagination. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as you say, that there is a fair bit of research gone into that. The, the research accrues because you, you try and put a plot together. And, and my MA was about Hook and the Royal Society. So it made sense to use the research that I'd done uh, when I made the foolish decision to write a, write a book. Um, I, I would set it in the 17th century. But there's a, there's a civil war, there's the British Civil Wars. There's the, um, the, the London element to it. There's, there's obviously the, the science of the, the, the Royal Society. There's the politics. There's the religion. So very soon you find yourself getting a collection of, uh, of, of um, books on, on each of these different things. What was it, 12, 13 years spent writing the thing? Um, so yes, a, a lot of research. My my publisher suggested the bibliography, um, and it was probably more trouble than it was worth. But uh, as as bibliographies in, in essays, you, you know, always are. Um, but but you know, if you mention one book, you kind of think, well, actually, I've used this other book just as much. And um, and I think it's it's quite a nice thing that, that a, um, a historical fiction purveyor. Uh, a historical fiction author acknowledges the fact it it, i I put in the back it's a slightly grubby fact um that we that we fill it and gut you know history books in order to uh, to tell our stories and um uh, so i I think it's quite i'm not sure the second book will have quite such a long uh, long bibliography Uh, i'm still exhausted after doing the first one but um you know, I, th- I think it's quite a nice thing to to do just just to acknowledge historians who are the ones who sit in dusty rooms looking at primary sources, mm. uh, <clears throat> whereas I've got the the luxury, you know, of, uh, of well, mainly in here actually. I've <laughs> that, um, quite a few books back there
0: that I can uh, see in the background. So now, um, I, one of the things that always interests me is um. Can I just, of, can sure. I,
1: sorry. Can, can I just come back to what you were saying about the language? Mm-hmm. Um, just, just because it's important to me. Um, the, the original drafts are the ones that I sent to publishers were actually far more, um, the, what people said that the narrator's voice was more modern if you like, but the, mm-hmm. the characters spoke in, in much more of a, um, you know, a, a 17th century way. Um, but possibly that sounded like pastiche. It's, it's it's difficult to kind of avoid sounding like pastiche. So a kind of light sprinkling of 17th century um, vocabulary uh, and a slight change of rhythm um, and and hooks micrographia is is great for this. That it's not a great deal of change that you you need to do to suggest the 17th century. Um, some slight word turnarounds. In, in sentences, but but Hook's micrographia—you really hear his voice coming through the the way that he structures sentences and, and particular words that he uses, and obviously that there are some scientific terms or or natural philosophical terms that are that are used. Um, so so you know, and, and the rhythm of, of language is, is as well. You know, it's something that I wanted to 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 put across. But but I think the the addition now with with, with its various um, polishings over the years. You know, I, I think it's um, it suggests the 17th century, doesn't it, rather than um, sort of, you know, tries to slavishly reproduce 17th century speech patterns.
0: When you're telling a story about real characters in real places doing real things, you still want to have a story. And, and so talk about um, looking at points on timeline, I'm guessing, where real characters were here or there or doing this or meetings and big big gatherings that would be somebody who knew something about Robert Hooke would know was real and so know that you were paying attention, and then weaving your story, which is fictional and involves fictional characters in and out of that reality that seems like a a, a difficult thread to needle the thread
1: i I tried to. Keep to the uh, the timeline, um, but it, it completely cut across um, the, the 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 kind of the tension. Um, so so if you have two months between events because you're trying to reflect what actually happened, you know the uh, the, the whole of the, the popish plot that features in the uh, in the book, um, it's it spread out over three or four years. So eventually you you kind of think well. I'm I'm going to cheat. So as as I say in the afterword of the of the book, I I compressed probably two years of events down into a, a wintry January, um, and it, that sort of creates some interesting ramifications for book two and book three, because when you start looking at events, it, uh, you know there, there there are some interesting kind of knock-on uh, on effects. If, if somebody's died before they actually died. Um, uh, and and you you know you have to kind of remember what what you've done in uh, in time in, in order for other things to to make sense but it it really freed me up um, although i it, it's it's historical fiction it's um it's a, it, it's like a, a have you, have you, i have i know you've spoken to neil stevenson his mm-hmm. um his trilogy um where he's actually quite free with 17th century Characters. So Jack Ketch, for example, the executioner. Neil Stevenson, um, in the System of the World books, he has Jack Ketch living, you know, another another 50 years further on than he than he did, and that that frees you up considerably. So it, it's like an alternative history. Mm. Um, although although I will spend ever such a lot of time trying to make things plausible and trying to get details right, especially you know the science and so on. Although Harry Hunt, my main character, is, is allowed to be a little bit ahead, I can I can use some anachronistic um, things. It, it, I, I won't give the example that that would be a spoiler, but um, you know, he's sort of smarter, um,
0: yeah, uh, and slightly
1: ahead of time. Right. Uh, but of course, his inventions get lost in history co- conveniently, you know. Um, so you can you, you can play around with all all of these things, but but I, I allowed myself. The, the liberty the freedom of saying all right I will put my events in this order I haven't really reversed events too much but I've compressed them um, and and hopefully that makes for an entertaining tale
0: you know uh, one of the things that I found so entertaining about this was you have a really interesting mystery from uh, from the beginning uh, up the body of a three year old boy is found no blood and- and I'm. I'm this is all pretty much in the in the dust jacket. And, and Robert Hook and, and Harry Hunt are, are called by, you know, the governor to to <clears throat> figure out what's going on because people might be alarmed by this, <laughs> understandably. But for me as a reader, one of the interesting mysteries to entangle, and I think you do a good job of making this clear. Is the politics of the time and the society of the time? You because for those people, um, Cromwell and, and that whole thing, that that all that series of events, that's recent history for them, and it's it's present to them in their thoughts and in their everyday lives. So talk about recreating not just history but the perception of. What we consider history as current events to the characters in the story
1: mm-hmm. well the, the the guiding light uh, i guess was was hysteria and the the titusotes and israel tongue thread that runs through the, the book their their popish plot mm-hmm. um, led to thirty five executions, hundreds of arrests pe- hundreds of people being questioned. Um, thinking that there was this enormous um, anti-Protestant Jesuit plot. Um, you know, and, and he, London was full of these Catholic um, ne'er-do-wells um, trying to um, overthrow the government and assassinate the, the king, and, and everybody was, was deeply scared of this. They they looked across at, at Louis XIV in France, and they saw Catholicism and, and a, a Catholic king as, uh, as being an absolutist um system of, of government and that was what the civil war had all been fought about wasn't it they um they, they invited charles ii back as a as a kind of a limited monarch he, he would he would rule with a with a parliament um but he kind of managed to wriggle out of that using his guile and uh, uh, and secret um treaties and agreements with, uh, with with other monarchs around Europe he he managed to kind of bypass Parliament um, which is which is kind of where where we get to Shaftesbury, who is um, I, I won't say baddie because I, I have a lot of sympathy for Shaftesbury, um, but he's the he's in in opposition. He he believes that the king has um, um, is, is abusing his power. The king Charles II has uh, prorogued Parliament, um, and he's supposed to rule with Parliament. He's supposed to get money for. Wars and whatever else he wants money for, running his court largely, it's quite a flamboyant lot. Um, he was supposed to raise money through parliament, and actually, he, he bypassed them, uh, secret payments from his cousin Louis Fourteenth, for example. Um, so, um, the, the, the politics of it, um, I mean, like, it. it some some people have seen parallels with with what's going on now but um but but if you look at Boris Johnson in the UK what what a divisive character he is mm-hmm. uh, Trump in the US what a divisive character he is was um the, the the arguments get polarized um very very quickly so for me it's catholics and protestants um I I had direct references. I I looked at the speeches of Ian Paisley. I I don't know if you remember him uh, from from Northern Ireland Mm. um, for for Israel tongue. Um, But, you know, you you look at these sort of extremists that that exist in in different um, brands of politics now. Uh, it's it's funny actually. I, I never really used to be a political animal, but but writing this book, you know, has has turned me into a, a political animal. The well, uh, the, the levelers, the, the levelers make an appearance, and I, I think I was born in the wrong century. <laughs> you,
0: you know, the, it it strikes me too that <laughs> uh, conspiracies theories seem like uh, then and now not much of a difference. <laughs> People don't yeah, want to believe yeah. in reality. <laughs> you That's
1: know? right. And, and even to discuss these things, it's where angels fear to tread, isn't it? And you can and you can see that Sir Edmund Berry Godfrey, you, you can, and, and, and Robert Hooke, you know, they have that, they have these crises of conscience where they they don't want to. Um, Kind of rock the boat more than they they sh- should do or need to you've got all these systems of power haven't you and uh, e- even somebody as famous as robert hook is very cautious uh of uh, of saying the wrong thing and uh, um you know which it, you could be fined for swearing back then you know it was it was a different world um so they're, they're very they're very careful about their their public conduct so the uh, that kind of um separation between public and private i, I find very uh, very interesting at uh, this time
0: you know um it makes for a really uh, one thing i think i like about this book is it it's for this kind of historical thriller that's so immersed in in its era it it's short it's taught the the chapters are short talk about uh creating this kind of uh, intense <clears throat> pacing when you're when you also want to create an immersive kind of atmosphere, I think you did a good job of that.
1: Oh, well, th- thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, we we've, the, the conversation sound so far has made it sound very serious, but but actually, there's thrills and spills and chases and murders and mysteries. <laughs> so, uh, the, the, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a it's, it's quite a plum pudding, isn't it? There, there's a lot going on in the uh, in the book. Um, short chapters. Um, the it's not really a spoiler because it, it becomes evident very early on it's um e- each chapter is called an observation so uh, to, to, to reflect the scientific um and i you know the word scientific wasn't wasn't really used back then but but science was but it, it was a to to reflect um the the scientists the the natural philosophers um methodology, each, each chapter is called an observation. So, so they, they, that tended to create a kind of short, um, sharp, uh, kind of structure to the to the book, it, that it, each chapter is very much a scene, So, rather than, you know, making a chapter from lots of scenes, I simply split them up. And that kind of became the the, the rhythm. I, I, th- I think it prob- probably probably does help with you know you know the next chapter is only three pages long and let's let's read this before i go to sleep um uh, <laughs> you <laughs> there know
0: probably is a benefit there oh I, I i did think that one of the things that was nice about this book is there's some kind of instances of dry humor in there um where where um you know uh, again where they're talking about the uh you know the catholic practices and stuff such so i I I really like that um this book has a, a, a panorama spectrum it's not just a, about history it's about the people and, and so talk about creating um the Robert Hooke not just as, as a historical figure but as a character you know animated mm-hmm. from within by a novel and also Harry Hunt who you know mm-hmm. Who has a lot of interactions with with the real Robert Hooks? That that must have been a, a fun to do, like a, kind of hanging out with the, uh, somebody you really would have liked to have met four hundred years the, ago.
1: The, I mean, the, the big challenge obviously was was how on earth do you represent genius in in a in a book when, when you're not much of a genius yourself? And um, so, so that took a long, as you can imagine, a long time to work out. Hook, um, his diary. Um, and you know various biographies uh, of, of Hook. I'll show his character. Harry Hunt's interesting because very little is known about Harry Hunt. He's, he's left these sort of very intriguing uh, little, little trails um, in, in the Royal Society's archive. He's left some of his paintings and drawings, um, fish and uh, um, a, a two-headed dog and a seven and a half feet tall Swiss Husar. those sort of odd, odd little remnants of hooks of the hunts. Um, artistic um, expertise um which, which was considerable um but we don't know he, he came he became hook's apprentice coming out of the country and, and that's what hook's diary says about him um and and people have tried to kind of pin down um more on that um somewhere on a dusty shelf there, there may well be a detailed biography of Hunt. I kind of want to keep away from it. I've, I've created Harry Hunt, uh, you know, with the freedom of not knowing too, too much about him. Their relationship, I, I quickly realised, was uh, what I've done is portrayed my relationship with my father. So I, I loved my, my father uh, deeply, but, it, but in lots of ways he was difficult. And our relationship was was difficult. And that's that, that's how Harry, you know, Harry um, has been brought up essentially and mentored and taught the ways of natural philosophy by by Robert Hook and, and is full of admiration for him. But he still wants to break away from him. He, he wants to prove himself. He, he wants to become his own man, doesn't he? And um, the, the frustrations that I used to feel with my dad about, uh, you know, just things like arguing politics, for example. Um, I, I sort of fed that into the book and, and had Harry's reaction to Hook, of, uh, you know, kind of frustration of, uh, of of this uh, of of really his timidity, I think, in in the uh, in this particular story. So um, you know, it, all, although it's based, I, I I make a lot of stuff up, um, and and really the, their their relationship and their and their characters. Hook's Hook's character, we we know all sorts about. It's been fictionalised by historians, they've, especially biographers of Newton, um, and, and, and that's been addressed in recent years. And so, Hook's reputation has risen, but um, they, they've kind of um, blamed Hook for doing down Newton. Whereas I think it's that the pendulum has swung the other the other way now. I think many people see that Newton was harmful to to Hooks. Reputation, and actually, Hook got there first on on various things um, that, that Newton gets the credit for.
0: You know, one of the things I really liked <clears throat> about my reading this book was reading the the perspective of the scientist in this otherwise, you know, completely. Uh, kooky to to our society and and in societies even now it's pretty kooky and and so (laughs) so scientists (laughs) still have it pretty easy still have it pretty tough to you know talk about talk speak truth to power um so talk about just um especially Mm. with regards to to crime you know Science and and uh, crime, criminal investigation have long been friends, and, and they've often informed one another, and they've driven one another too. <clears throat> and I think you use the that kind of the energy in those two uh, disciplines to help drive your story for the reader, just from within, trying to see, wow, yes, I understand this science. But also now you can see it play out in in the sociological realm as well.
1: I I, I, th- I think the uh, the book stemmed from from this sort of bizarre thought. Um, wouldn't it be great to write a techno thriller, but set in the seventeenth century? <laughs> um, so using seventeenth century science and. Uh,
0: Well, that's a a genre I've long been sort of interested in seeing more entries in, which which I would call like historical science fiction, which is science fiction that's set in the past and in which the science that's being discussed is now well known. But to the characters, when they're inventing it, what they're thinking about is to them and to their world, it's science fiction. They're just making it up and hoping that the world works that way
1: it's um it, it's an interesting you know like I, I said earlier about Harry Harry hunt is um, he, he he might invent something I, I, it's funny I, I don't want to give it away but but he invents something um, so he's kind of a, a, a little bit of ahead of things um,
0: talk about using the tension between science and criminal investigations <clears throat> to drive your plot
1: right so yeah I mean medical jurisprudence it was uh, it was it was cool so I, I I have a little bit of a play with that as well because they they go the other way they they also hide it you know as well as trying to explain a crime uh hook and and Harry carefully hide the, the crime of, of suicide it, it was then a crime um so so that that was a, a fun scene to, to do um in in the official um Uh, history of of the Secretary of the the Royal Society, Henry Oldenburg. He died from an egg. But in my story, Mm. um, he shoots himself through the head. And so I have them carefully disguising this fact because it would have brought scandal to uh, Oldenburg's Family, the Royal Society it would have, um, you know, Hook was trying to keep the society together. So, you know, again, it's this thing of, of, the, of trying to keep fiction plausible. I, I sort of posit this outrageous idea that, you know, it, it's chapter two, I think. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's OK to talk about it. Uh, Oldenburg um, commits suicide and then they try and hide all of that. So it's so that the coroner um, who would come in, you know, he would he would be fooled with any sort of cursory inspection he, he would be for but um courts um we had the sessions we, we had the king's bench back then in london and um, they they would look um for the true causes of a uh, of a murder for example of, of of any crime so they 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 did find physicians um potentially i'm i'm, I'm not sure if robert hook was ever involved actually in uh, anything like this but um you know, potentially they, they, they would use the expertise of someone to try and uh, um, explain a, um, a a crime such as uh, uh, the draining of blood from a from a boy. No. But obviously at the same time, you, you get all these mad rumours heading off, you know, that, that the boy had cloven hooves and naked people dancing around it. All these things sort of spin out of nowhere and, and London's abuzz very quickly, isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. All they needed was a pizza bar <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to uh, fix their rumors on. Um, <laughs> now, uh, one of the things that I, I think is really interesting about this book to me is now, was this, did you actually set out to kind of create a fictional solution to a 400-year-old cold case?
1: Hmm. I, I started again. I, I don't, I don't, I know what you're talking about, but it doesn't happen until halfway through the, through the book. So I, I don't want to say too much, but I was very limited by following, um, or John Dixon Carr, for example, mm-hmm. explains this particular murder that I don't want to mention that, that, that happens halfway through the book. Um, and so I had a character that he put forward as being the, um, the most likely culprit. Um, and it was when I thought, well, actually, I can step away from, from that. I can, I can bring my own slightly far-fetched um, solution to, to, to this particular murder. Um, and I can explain it away fictionally But I can make some changes. So, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to explain the actual person's murder. It's funny uh, trying to step around uh, (laughs) saying the words. Um, But, you you know, using uh, some people, you know, certainly for the, the the Henry Oldenburg suicide, people worry about things. Changing things about real people—that there, there is a, a, a moral and an ethics involved, even though most of them were dead by 350 years ago. I still, I still feel a kind of connection with with these people, and I, and I do feel it. Like, but at the same time, I kill them off quite happily and uh, put them in situations that they were never in. Um, so, so it is a sort of strange mismatch. It's it's a sort of interesting uh, process, really. What it what's like- allowable and what isn't allowable.
0: Well, sure, you're writing you're writing a novel, so anything goes in a sense, but you're writing a historical novel, yeah, so you want yeah. it to have some you know, veracity and, and relationship I mean, I was, to was, reality, so say, I think that you handle like, that well.
1: I was <laughs> saying the other day, you know, um, there's if, if, if we consider a point called history and a point called fiction and, and sort of think of a spectrum where mm-hmm. that is... Um, mine's pretty well bang in the middle you know it's not there's um it, it's not fictionalized history um and, and the two you know the two can't possibly exist without the other um so it doesn't really make you know you, you can't have one or the other but um but mine takes elements of history um, I, I sprinkle in a fair old bit of fiction and and hopefully something entertaining comes out of that and hopefully, people won't get too upset with some of the liberties that I've uh, that I've taken, because the actual—I um, I nearly gave that put uh, that that spoiler away. The the actual Henry Oldenburg, he had his life. Yeah, you know, me writing a book about him 350 years later um, doesn't really change that or or affect it. You know, it's like doing a cover of a song—the original song still exists if you make a film of a book you know that you can always go to the book and what I've done is um um you know hopefully of interest to to some people (laughs) I make no greater claims for it
0: (laughs) it's certainly um an engaging story and it's easy to forget that the word story is part of the word history (laughs) so yeah,
1: oh. Absolutely. absolutely. So, oh, there's a nice little siege I've just thought of there. Um, okay. Is is history, of course. <laughs> and um, I I had a very nice review talking about the the women in in my book mm-hmm. and the the utterly male dominated politics and the Royal Society. It it's all about men mm-hmm. until the women kind of take over. Um, and I, I was very, very pleased that um, I'd, I'd had a review where where this particular writer uh, looked at the, the the roles of the females in uh, in this book. And um, I think from the blurbs on the book, which are very which are all males apart from Kate Quinn, it looks like a bit of a boys' club. But uh, but I would urge people listening, you know, that that there's plenty of um, of stuff going on um, that harry in particular but hook as well that they are oblivious to and uh, without giving too much away you know women hold the key to the uh, to the novel
0: now um you talked about a second and a third novel when you are writing the first one did you foresee a series out of this
1: no it was such a struggle to get the first one done um I did it in such a cack-handed way. Um, uh, you, you know, every everything you could do wrongly about, about uh, putting a novel together, you know, is, is an avenue I thoroughly explored. Um, so it wasn't... Ah,
0: but it that, was, by that way, it, you eliminated all the... Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of what often uh, goes into the, novels. Uh, <laughs> the, I,
1: I think that the fact that I, I'd spent so long putting it together and so long researching it to jump off to a, I don't know, a World War One story, or a, um, I, I was playing around with a 1920s story for a while, but it, it had to be a sequel. I, I, I haven't got the energy or the time left to, uh, to, to switch to a different um, kind of time frame. Uh, and at the end of it, uh, the, the the ending is slightly ambiguous, that deliberately, there, there's, there's a few plot threads in it, and one of them is, is obviously going to play on and, and play out um and so the sequel um takes that through and things like harry's re- relationship with grace you know you, 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 there are things that suggest themselves well that can go in in a sequel and uh, uh, and then you start looking for, for other things I, I think that the sequel um posits a kind of interesting central idea all, all the other things the, the politics the madness the, the hysteria uh, it goes off to Paris, for example, and and they were in the grip of the Affair de Poison, where all the aristocrats were busy poisoning one another, and that led to led them into a, a great sort of surge of arrests and executions and and hysteria. Um, so it, it wasn't just London. And, and Harry, you know, Harry being Harry, finds himself in the middle of uh, of this as well, causes some problems and and solves them,
0: as is his wont. You know, one of the things I think that's important in a novel like this is that when your main character is surrounded by people who are famous and well-known, and some of them really well-known to the reader, you have to make your main character stand out, and I think you do a really good job of that. Um, So talk about, uh, you know, writing about people that you read about, historical figures, and then coming up with your own kind of guide. Now, Now... Harry is a historical figure but there's enough mystery about him that you can uh punch him up a bit uh, so that he he can keep up with Robert Hooke and, and the rest of you know the the Royal Society.
1: Yeah, the the original kind of early drafts were were Robert Hooke but Robert Hooke um was in his 40s by now and also he had a hunched back and it didn't seem quite realistic to me to have him having fights at the top of the fifth street pillar and so on. Whereas his young assistant could be kind of sent into, into danger um, or, or he would choose to, to send himself into, into danger. And, and actually, and I think it was, it was, it was when I sort of got to that thing of well actually Harry can disobey hook so that there would be tension between them. Mm-hmm. Um, things started to, to become more interesting and, and Harry became a more interesting character. So he's, he's trying to break out from uh, from Hook's influence. He's been Hook's apprentice. He's, he's grown up in his house. Um, he's in love with his niece, Grace. You know, he wants to prove himself to her as well. And he, he wants to become his own man. And once I kind of had that picture of Harry, um, and also, you know, have Harry change. So he's, he's very different at the beginning of the novel than he is at the end of the novel. And then in book two, you know, he changes again. And in book three, he's completely different. Things happen to him in, in book two. Um, so so the idea of him constantly changing and uh, and evolving. Um, I've got a I've got a, an online um, uh, conversation with Lee Child coming up um, in a few days. And, and the 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 difference between Harry Hunt and Jack Reacher kind of uh, kind of amuses me. Uh, the, <laughs> the idea that you you've got two central characters. One one is bumbling, uh, squeamish, um, slightly um, foolhardy, uh, as as opposed to Jack Reacher, who is the kind of ultimate um, sort of fantasy of competence, isn't he? So, exactly. Uh, that was uh, the word I was going to
0: use too: is competence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Sure from someone who can hardly put up a shelf you know jack reacher is uh, you know he he's someone to look up to
0: yeah now um i'm wondering given that you brought up lee child and jack reacher we've seen a couple of jack reacher movies i'm still i'm agnostic on 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 movies in general and, and but i'm
1: not i am not going to mention tom cruise to lee child i, I have made that
0: decision <laughs> a good a good decision yeah I was always thinking the rock as much would have maybe been much more at least physically in the form that said um talk about has this seems like tailor-made for for adaptation uh, and so I'm wondering has that has there been any talk about or, or is that something you're interested in
1: only in our house uh, I, I don't know if um, you know who who knows like i say the the email before christmas came out of the blue um wouldn't wouldn't that be wouldn't that be great to have any kind of adaptation of it i've i've had you know various actors in in mind for a while um mm-hmm. over the last 20 years and as they get too old you know i, I, I come in with the H-R. next generation um in in my fantasy the film is finished but um uh yes yeah, so, you know that that would be that that would be incredible and and wonderful and and all the rest of it but um but, <laughs> but let me just enjoy thinking about it for a second rick
0: <laughs> now one of the things that i think is interesting is you said the film is is already finished in your head but i think it's also true that Readers, this is a cinematic book when you read it, you're just immersed in it. It's like sitting in in a movie. So talk about uh, creating, you know, a a cinematic feel. I think I
1: think Working on it for so long and multiple drafts probably uh, probably helps Um, maybe uh, if, if I take your question seriously and and I take myself slightly seriously as well. I, I did a fine art degree, and certainly like to think um, that I'm kind of visually fairly um, uh, um, adept or perceptive. Even um, I think
0: you did I,
1: work I think, on some film. I think film. You know, sort of a, 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 I suppose a sort of Roland Barton thing that the re what goes on in the mind of the reader is it's an interesting thing of, of it's outside of my control but actually the words i put down are sort of hand rails for the reader but you can get away with actually doing quite little as long as it's kind of in the right place or maybe you know maybe just a certain word Things happen in, in the reader's imagination. Um, so, for, for example, um, when I started writing this, I, I used um, Frederick Forsyth's book, The Odessa File, as a, as a model, as a, as a, you know, a how-to manual. Mm-hmm. And I broke it down, and I looked at his chapter lengths, and I looked at how long a particular character might be on the page for, and and I, I thought the the book i still think it's one of my favorite thrillers it's one of the most exciting books i've read Mm -hmm. and actually if you look for the fight scenes or the chases or it's a tiny tiny percentage of the book and yet in my mind when i went back to it and you know i thought oh this is this is you know you're kind of breaking out into a sweat at the end of every page and actually there's a lot of it that's very measured and uh, a lot of it goes deeply into the history of, of World War Two and there's Solomon Tauber's diary and there's the Odessa organization. and It's gone into you know, all the machinations of Israeli intelligence and there's a lot of um, laying pipe, um, Snyder calls it. And, and, you know, there's a lot of scenery setting. And, and I thought it was all action. Uh, and that was going on in, in my head. so. I think uh, that there's a kind of minimalism involved in, um, in creating scenes where, where a little goes a long way. And I think you, I think you rely on the reader. Um, if, you, if you overpaint a scene, I think, I think you exhaust them with, with detail and, and you, slow things, you slow things down. And I'm very conscious that it is, after all, a thriller. And I, and I want to get to the next event as, as quickly as possible um, before I get bored and before the reader gets bored.
0: The new novel by Robert Lloyd is The Bloodless Boy. Thank you for joining me, Robert.
1: Thank you Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, thank you ever, ever so much.